for 24 years, Eric Briscoe. And uh, I've been at this church for 12 years, and in all that time, we've never had Eric here to tell us about his ministry. And uh, so this is a first. And um, also in those 12 years, I kept hearing about Eric going out, uh, doing open-air evangelism, street evangelism, you know, around downtown crossing in Boston. And I've met uh, some of the other people who worked with him. Other people in the church have gone out with him to downtown crossing and taken part in the, the outreach there. But I've never gone until Friday. So that was my first time. Four of us went. And uh, it was a nice team, and we, uh, we had a great time. It was freezing cold on Winter Street. Um, so right over here next to us was uh, a little table with uh, George Kamal and his wife Sim Sim uh, giving away free Arabic literature, a guy from the Arabic Evangelical Baptist Church in Boston. And uh, as soon as he set up his table, he was constantly you know, talking with, with Muslims in Arabic and going on. I, I couldn't take part in any of those conversations, but... Uh, Eric set up his poster board there on the, on the sidewalk, and we had people stopping by, and we had a lot of conversations, a lot of opportunities to talk about Jesus. Uh, so, Eric, thanks for that. It was, it was great. He, this is the same uh, outfit that he trucks around on the streets. He bolts it down in the back of his van, and uh, he's got a special evangelism van. It's quite, quite unique. But, uh, Eric... Uh, it's great to have you as a partner. You live in Abington? Yes, I do. And you are a member of uh, First Baptist Wayman? First Baptist Wayman. Yeah, yeah. Glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you, Pastor. Yes, sir. Good morning, everyone. As Pastor Seth had mentioned, my name is Eric Briscoe. My wife, Diane, is with me here in the front row. We've had the opportunity to raise our children in this kind of work. We've had them out in the street with me. I haven't been able to get any of my grandkids out yet, but that's coming. And so we want to thank you for your partnership, your prayers, your gifts, uh, notes we get sometime from you folks. I want to thank you very much for that. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to John chapter 4, please? We'll be looking at an incident from the life of Christ where this is taking place. Obviously, this is, you know, Jesus taught his disciples that they were going to be fishermen. I mean, some of them were fishermen, but they fished for fish. And Jesus said, you're going to fish for men. And so a lot of what he did, of course, equipped them to be able to do this, right? And so... The sketchboard is like bait. It causes people to come in close. Just like a fisherman needs to put something on his hook. Otherwise, the fish just swim by. So there's something about bait that's biblical when it comes to evangelism. And when you think of evangelism, we often have labels for everything. I mean, a doctor's not a doctor anymore. There's so many different labels, you know, and you don't even know what half of them mean. But what are some labels that people use to describe the type of evangelism that they do? Can you think of any? What's that? Well, some people, like street evangelism, like what I do. What else? What do some people do? Door to door. What other kind of evangelism? 
friendship evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, child evangelism. I mean, there's all kinds of labels, but when we look at the scripture, all of us here that know the Lord have been equipped to evangelize, to witness. And so I'll title it this, Everyday Evangelism. In other words, how can I go about my life, where I live, work, play, go to school, the things that I do, how am I going to be able to speak to others about the Lord? There's got to be something within you that, that causes you to desire that. I know there's always some fear involved. There's, there's, there's what are people going to think and those kinds of things, but usually a passion for the one that you want to speak about would overcome that. And we're going to look at the scriptures this morning and see how maybe we can go about this in our, in our life, in our everyday life. Let's have a word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, you, you equipped those men that hung close to you for three, over three years. And this was only one incident in their life of many, many, many incidents in which you equipped them to be the foundation of the church along with your son, dear Lord, that we are in right now, the message that they preached. Help us, Father, to understand the truths of these words. May your spirit of God, your spirit give me the, with the words to say, the understanding for those that are in this auditorium this morning, in this sanctuary. And I pray, dear Lord, that if there are any here this morning that do not know you, as their Lord and Savior, that you would open up their heart, cause them to see their need for Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. John chapter 4, verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, and he needed to go through Samaria. That's my first point. In order for evangelism to take place, all of us have to do something that causes us to move. In other words, to leave a place that we're comfortable in being and, 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 and move into an area where there are other people that don't think like us or they don't believe our message. And Jesus was about to take them through Samaria because they always avoided that place. No Jew went through Samaria. They hated him. It's no different than today. It doesn't matter what culture you live in. There's always a group of people that hate another group of people. It's in every country, every tribe. It's not unique to the United States and what we went through. And so, we've got to go through these areas. And Jesus is about to take them through because 
in Samaria, as far as the Jews were concerned, there were an awful lot of these, right? You guys can relate, can't you? I mean, you had to understand yourself that you were a, you were a big-time one yourself. And Jesus is going to take them through Samaria. I mean, this is what Jesus did. The world that he created wasn't the world he came into. It wasn't the paradise he created for Adam and Eve. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, this is a faithful statement. It's worthy of all your acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Well, where did he come from? He had to leave heaven to come here. You think those of you that are saved and you go to heaven, you think you're going to want to leave heaven to come back down here? Not in a second. Jesus did. And he's about to take the disciples through Samaria. And this was his constant teaching throughout. I mean, he would go into one of his disciples was Matthew, right? He was a tax collector. And when Matthew followed him, he said, come to my house. I'll bring some of my tax collector friends. And the religious crowd got a little upset with who Jesus was keeping company with. And Jesus said to them, well, I I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. And so that's why he went to this home. He told the whole story about the... uh, um, the Good Samaritan, because the same thing, the disciples will, I mean, the, the religious leaders were looking around and seeing uh, who Jesus ate with. He eats with sinners. And even right throughout the end of his ministry, when Jesus goes through Jericho and then makes his final trip to Jerusalem, so it would be less than a month before he was crucified, when he looked up into the tree to call Zacchaeus down and said, I'm going to your house today. It wasn't just the religious leaders. No, even the townspeople were wondering, listen, we know that guy up in the tree. He's the the scum of our city. He's the worst sinner in Jericho. And Jesus said, well, that's why I came. That's why I left heaven. I came to seek and to save those that are lost. There's a lot of lost people out there. Some of you kids in here, I don't know how you're schooled, but if you're in a public school, maybe it means that you're going to start to make some different friends. I mean, you've got to know the Lord yourself. You can't do this unless you have the Holy Spirit. But what happens to the church is we start to become, we so partner with ourselves. We're so concerned about small groups and those kind of things that we're, we forget that the vast majority have no clue of what makes us like we are. And we need to go to these places. And so it might change the route that you take, where you work, where you go to school. Listen, they will talk with you. We'll we'll read that in just a minute. Harvard Square is a melting pot of all kinds of culture. I remember one day I was talking to a kid, and his tongue was pierced, you know. He had a big steel ball. Now, that's the way I would talk if I had a steel ball in my mouth. 
And you know, these, you think, oh, man, how, how do you relate to someone like that? Well, he's just like you. You're a saved sinner, he's an unsaved sinner. Now, so how are you going to talk to him? Well, you know, sometimes when people dress a little different, wear clothes a little, your eyes are focused on that. And sure enough, man, my eyes are looking right in his mouth <laughs> at that steel ball. He's looking at my eyes and he knows I'm staring at it. And so I had to, I couldn't, you can't just pretend like, oh, I'm not seeing this. So I just said, I said, if I had that steel ball in my mouth, there's no way I could talk as good as you do. Man, that lit him up. I mean, in a positive way. He made a big smile. He said, oh, thank you. And then, man, that was out of the way. And so I could go on, you know, with just a normal conversation. But, you know, I never would have experienced how to talk to people with steel balls in their mouth until I talked with people with steel balls in their mouth. You see, and that's the same with you. Don't protect yourself like the world's going to eat you up. No, they won't. They need to, they need to befriend a Christian. <laughs> And you need to befriend some sinners. And so we need to leave these places. Jesus prayed that this would be so. In, in John 17, in, in that prayer before Gethsemane, he said, I do not pray, John 17, 15. <clears throat> I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And then we know his command to us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you know, go into all the world, go, go, it's leave. It's all that emphasis. Even his last words, his last words to his disciples before he ascended is, you shall be my witnesses, and you're going to go somewhere, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we need to go to these people. Okay, now what do we do when we're there? Let's see what Jesus did. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being worried from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The text doesn't say it, but I believe John, at least, maybe a few others, I don't know if they all left Jesus alone in Samaria. I think John stayed back. He wrote the account that we're reading, so it's a pretty good idea. Maybe he was kind of in the shadows observing what was going to take place. And so this is the first thing you do. You know, you go out into the world, you don't have any trouble doing this normally. You just look for an opportunity uh, to start a conversation. That's all he did was start a conversation and, and ask for a drink of water. That's not hard. I mean, we start conversations with strangers frequently over many different subjects, right? Whether it's, you know, food, you know, what kind of restaurants people eat, what kind of food you like, sports, entertainment, politics. I mean, we talk about all kinds of things. So... Look for an opportunity to just have a normal conversation with someone. This makes it very easy for me, actually. Uh, this is an easy form of evangelism. Because when I set this up and then preach a gospel message, as long as everybody doesn't run away, 
And they don't. They don't. They stay. I mean, the guy with the steel ball, he stayed. I remember when the Grateful Dead, I don't even know if they're still around, but they were having a concert. They were having a concert in the Boston Gardens. And I was preaching in the Commons. And this was in the old days, so to speak, when we had uniforms in our mission. I had a blue blazer, maroon tie, gray pants, and a bunch of deadheads in front of me. Now, I don't, that's not derogatory. They call themselves deadheads, right? Those that follow Grateful Dead. You know, I had one of those deadheads come up to me and say, Mr., There's a bunch of us hanging out over there. Will you come over and say the same thing you just said to me? You'd never think that stuff like that would happen. Just leave where you go, look for opportunities to speak, and be, do this. (laughs) That's a big part of evangelism. I mean, you know, who's going to want to talk to someone that looks like you know, they smile a lot down south. I don't know if it goes deep or not, but at least it's an open door. You know what I mean? At least it will start. So smile. You know, you know that Jesus must have had a smile in his face because look at how the woman responds to his request for a drink of water. Verse 9, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What's the deal between Jews and Samaritans? Is it like what still goes on, like, say, between blacks and whites? Sure, that goes on in our country. Because this white boy preached in Harlem once. An adult meeting. And there was nobody but black people there. And I had one approach me and basically say the same kind of thing. He said, if I do what you're going to do, in your neighborhood, like what you're going to do here. And he must have seen our guys preach there before. He said, would you let me? First thing, I mean, I didn't even say a word. He never met me. My first time there. Boom, all of a sudden he's in my face. And he said, would you? And I said to him, you know, I've yet to have a class in this stuff. You know, that answered that question for me. You learn a lot as you go along by the seat of your pants, you know. And I said, no. They wouldn't let you. I know some of my neighbors, and they probably wouldn't like you because of the color of your skin. I said that to him. You think he got upset? A smile came on his face. He said, really? He knew I was being honest with him, and I was being honest with him. I wasn't just trying to tickle his ears to make him, hey, listen, if I wanted to tickle, Tickle people's ears. This is the last book I've opened. (laughs) This doesn't tickle people's ears. This makes people feel bad. Jesus got a lot of people upset with him. And you know that he never went about his ministry in the wrong way as far as being the offense himself. 
by his attitude or his prejudices or his uh, demeanor looking down. I mean, he just, uh, I mean, the Bible says God is love. You think Jesus was any different? And so you smile and then do this. This is very important in evangelism. You know what that is? That's Lyndon Johnson. No, I don't, I don't mean that as a front to Lyndon Johnson. I just remember my father said once that he was going to live a long time because he had big ears. I don't know where he got that. He said people with big ears live long. He didn't live that long, so I guess his big ears don't help you. But you have to listen. When you do evangelism, listen to what people say. I'm really, I mean, I love all the courses you can take on evangelism. Learn as much as you can, but don't tunnel yourself in a particular rote format that takes you through four spiritual laws or a Roman's road or, or there's a lot of them out there and if you don't follow it to the jot and tittle, you won't get your certificate. Well, don't get your certificate. Well, learn it. Learn the stuff from it. You'll glean stuff from all of it. But listen, you got to listen. It doesn't always fit. I mean, the first thing a kid told me, I, I knew he was listening to the message. He was in the crowd. And at the end of the meeting, he was gone. And I give too much money to the city of Boston, as it is, for overriding my meters. And so I said, oh, it's about to run out. So I ran back to feet. I came back, and there was this kid sitting there that I knew was in the meeting. So I went right up to him. I said, hey, how you doing? I heard you listening to my message. What did you think? Well, he blew up. He said, there's no God. Where was God when I was growing up and my father was getting drunk and beating the blinkety-blink out of me? And, and he, now, and, and then he went on for another 10 minutes until his blood pressure went down and the anger started to subside. Now, what plan tells you how to deal with that? You're just going to, oh, let me tell you about John Romans 3.23. You know, we're all sinners. Do you go there? I mean, that's like saying, I didn't hear a word you said. In fact, the whole, during the whole discourse, I'm thinking, God, man, what do I say? Because you don't know what to say sometimes. But God says, look at, look at John 14. This will help you. Just turn over, keep, keep, your, keep your finger here. <coughs> John chapter 14. <coughs> I think it's in... Uh, yeah, 25, 26. It's talking about this Holy Spirit. But the help of the Holy Spirit, when the Father will, s- whom the Father will send in my name, what will he do? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So the Holy Spirit's at work bringing things to your mind. And the only thing I could think of after he said all that, I, I said to him, man, if I had a father like that, I would think just like you. I mean, wouldn't you? If you were getting beaten to a pulp by your dad because he was drunk, wouldn't you? If you didn't hate your dad, you'd hate the God that brought your dad into the world. And I said, man, I didn't have a dad like that. I bragged on my dad. Bragged on my father. Never saw a beer can or alcohol in his hand his entire life. 
I did get his hand on my backside, though, a few times, which was necessary. So you listen to people. You can do that. All Jesus has done is ask for water. Look, you know, look, you can just get into the conversation easy. I just saw the video the other day. There was a guy literally had a cross tattooed right between his eyes. I said, man, you got, you got a... The guy said to him, you got a cross right between your eyes. Does that mean something? Look at people. They're probably wearing it around their neck. They have it pierced in their ear, tattooed on their body across. That's a great open door to introduce eternal things. Jesus uses the water, and then he, he elaborates on it. Let's, let's read what he says in John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so now he, he brings eternal things into it. But it's on people's minds anyway uh, about eternity. That's how God has made us. He's put eternity in our heart. And so he introduces, and now how is this person going to respond? It could be, ah, man, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about that. And, 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 you can't, and, and it could get shut down right there. You don't have to force anything. I don't want to talk about that. Well, then... You know, thank them for their time and ask them if they want a track. If they don't want that, then, you know. Or, or, or maybe you can even go back to secular things in your conversation with the person. And so he introduced... Now, there's ways to do this. Gospel tracks are very good things to have on you. And there's, there's some very creative ones that are just... They're just designed for getting people's attention. You know, ma'am, which one's bigger? Uh, Sir. I need someone without glasses. (laughs) Ma'am. Right there. Which one's bigger? You right there. Blue or red? It doesn't matter whether you wear glasses or not. See? I mean, no, they're, they're, they're the same on both sides. They're the same. See, if I put them like that and just pull one apart, one looks bigger than the other. This means that you can't trust your eyes to tell the truth. Really, I mean, have you ever had somebody say, I won't believe it until I see it? Pull this up. <laughs> and, and you can take some. I've got um, little ones. These are the baby ones. But you can keep them in your pocket. It's a gospel track. They're out on my display table. You can um, pick up a, a blue and a pink one and then use it this week. Get into a, if you get into a conversation and, and, and you're having a hard time bringing up the spiritual, then pull those out. Uh, how about this one right here? These are these, and these are small things that you can keep in your pocket. You're the choir director. You read, you read music? Can you read English? Okay, good. 
What does that say? Okay. Is this your husband? Yes, it is. Okay. Bird in the hand. And then, ma'am? Oh, no, wait, no. Uh, okay. Yeah. Now, if you notice, they all read it wrong. They did. He said, Paris in the spring. Look at it. I know some of you can't see. What does that say? You missed a word. Paris in the, the spring. What does that say? Same thing? I thought this was an educated congregation. <laughs> Once in a, a lifetime. Look, there's little ones out. I got little ones out there. Little baby ones. These are gospel tracts you can keep in your pocket. It says IQ test. It says the same thing on it. And there's a gospel presentation on the back. These These kinds of tracks are good bridges into conversations. So take something with you and ask the Lord to allow you to be a missionary this week. Missions does not take place just because you give people a drink of water or you build them a house. No one gets saved. I mean, it's good to do that. But that's not evangelism. Don't say you go, you're going to go on a missions trip and share Jesus and all you do is pound nails. Talk to somebody. Faith comes by. And what do they need to hear? I'm not really angry. I'm just saying, we're, the church is falling down. We're not communicating the gospel and they can't get saved unless they hear it. And who, who are they going to hear it from? How can they hear without? A who? Now, that's not talking about someone who stands up in front of everybody else. It's talking about you. A preacher is just someone who speaks and communicates the word of God. I got some fake money out there. It, it, this really gets some conversations going. And, you know, I, you can give those out to tell them it's stimulus money. And uh, they'll, they'll, la- they'll laugh like you and say... It's hard to come by, but I say that, you know, there's something I have that's much more valuable. I know where my soul's going, right? What does it profit a man if he what? Gains the whole world. That's what this stuff can buy. And yet what? You think that's on people's minds in a, in a bad economy? It is. <laughs> I was at a Bible college two weeks ago in Cincinnati, and I... I had these hanging out of my shirt like this. And um, this one 10-year-old man, I knew he was the bad apple of the neighborhood. He was a terror. And he wouldn't sit down on the mat. He said, can I have one of those, that, that money? I goes, yeah, if you sit on the mat and listen to the Bible story. And he wouldn't do it. So he comes up to me as the Bible story is going on. And he says, can I have that? I said, you, you haven't sat down and listened to the Bible story. So he sat down. He listened to the whole thing. And in a minute, I'm going to tell you what he said to me. But I haven't got there in the text yet. And so this is, this is kind of, uh, you know, you're breaking ground. And wo- the, the Lord does it with this woman. He got into spiritual things with her. Everlasting. Uh, he, he introduced that his water would give eternal life. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. 
Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Everyone has some kind of a spiritual, you know, they're in a religious place there in Samaria. They got Jacob's well. Everybody's got some kind of worship. They just don't know how to worship because they don't know the true God. And he'll get into that further with the woman when he brings up another issue. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Now look at the woman. What does she say? Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here again. Is this conversation really opened up her heart? I mean, is she an open candidate for, for the, the gospel? And unfortunately, sometimes we take this opportunity, we see a person that's open, and we treat this next issue that I'm going to put up here so lightly that an individual doesn't really understand it. We're so excited that a person is willing to talk to us about God that we don't go here. And it's very, very important that we do. Otherwise, they'll drink the water for the wrong reason. And if you give them the water to drink for the wrong reason, it makes them twice as hard to reach the next time somebody witnesses to them. So you don't want to do that. So this is what Jesus does. She wants this living water. In verse 16, what does he tell her to do? It almost seems like 180 degrees from the conversation, doesn't it? Just like, get your, get your, uh, excuse me. Okay. Now this is what all, all these words are going to be, the uh, L words. I call it, Jesus is loving this woman because he loves God. The more you love God, the more you'll love people. The more you want to please God, the more you want to be faithful to him, the more you want to worship him, you'll be a lover of people. He's, He's going to dig into the Ten Commandments here. He wants her to see why she needs the living water. Imagine... Uh, you know, you're in an airplane and the stewardess comes down the aisle and starts offering parachutes. <laughs> and you, well, what's this for? And you say, well, we'll make your ride better. <laughs> we'll make your flight better. And she's been so well trained in it that she convinces you to take it. And as you look around, not everybody's buying her story. Now you can't even drink your coffee that you had to pay for. (laughs) Now you can't even drink your coffee. And that's the way we we come to this. But we, we tell people, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll make your flight better. He'll make your life better. He'll give you love and joy and peace. And they put the parachute on for the wrong reason. See, the plane's going to crash. 
and you need the parachute for the jump to come. You don't put it on because you have a better flight. In fact, when you take it on, sometimes life gets worse. Sometimes people come to Christ, and guess what? I liked you better when you were on drugs. You think that's true? Look at a guy on staff, Jewish fellow now. He was disowned by his family when he came to Christ. Putting on Christ didn't make his life better, at least in the world, the way, you know, you live in your... But guess what? He's prepared for the jump to come. Jesus wants this woman prepared for the jump that is going to come. So she says, get your husband. Because the commandments have to do with, if you boil down the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with God, right? And the second six have to do with our relationship with man. How do you define the commandments? You know, well, love the Lord with all your heart. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And he's about to show this woman why she needs the living water. The woman answered, verse 17, and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Boy, the woman's going to get this off this subject pretty quick. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, father's where she brings up religion. Look at she's bringing up religion. Oh, but I'm a good Protestant. I'm a good, I'm a good guy. I'm a Muslim. I was at Michigan State University not long ago with, with the people from the church. And man, there's a lot of Saudis there. I was talking to stories. I got, and they, he said, I'm good. I'm a good person. I said, have you ever lusted in your heart? He looks at his two buddies looks at me, he said no. Oh, I wanted to call him a liar to his face. I had to, you know, you've got to let the law, you've got to let the commandments do what they're intended to do. You can't be the, you can't be the convicting agent. Romans 3.19 says, whatever the law says, it says to those that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, you stop justifying yourself. And all the world become guilty before God. The commandments were made to make that Samaritan woman sweat a little. They're designed to make you sweat a little too because you can't keep them. For by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For it's through the law that you get the knowledge of sin. You know, so I bring these. These are... I want everybody to see him. And that's what he does with that woman. The 10-year-old boy, after going, he heard the Bible story. I started to go through the commandments with him, the way we have them designed for children. I said, Marcel was his name. I said, have you ever broken any of these? He said, yeah, I broke one. Now, what do you think? Probably not, right? So I said, well, Marcel, which one? He said, I told a lie before. I said, you told a lie, okay. And he explained, I said, Marcel, have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? This is a 10-year-old boy. You know what he said? He said, make that two. (laughs) 
I had to do all I could to do to, to bust out laughing. I just had to, oh, man, this kid's a character. So I went into a third one about honoring your parents. I let him describe what he did. I wanted to hear what it was that he had done. And it was a pretty good thievery that he had done. Pretty obvious. I said, I went to him about honoring his parents. You know what? He said, um, you don't know the kind of home I live in. And he, he couldn't even get the words out. Guess what the law was doing? Shutting his mouth. It's hard to justify yourself in the face of a law that's condemning you. And that's all the law was designed to do, to make you feel bad. It's not meant to save you. And then, of course, she gets to the point, and I'll be brief with this. You read through the conversation that Jesus has with her. By the time of verse 25, the woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now what does Jesus do? What does Jesus say? He reveals himself. Hey, I am that Messiah. I am the Lord. And then the message to the Lord of the proud, grace to the humble. This woman has been humbled. Now the message of salvation. The perfect, unspotted Lamb of God that we sung about who shed his blood, never sinned, but died and was put to shame as though he had lived your life, as though he had lived my life, was buried. Death could not keep its prey. Death could not hold him right. The stone was rolled away so the world could look in and see he had risen just like he said. And so, the message of hope message of salvation, what Christ has done for sinners now that they've seen that their sin is pretty sinful, is pretty bad. That's what got, that's what got the Apostle Paul. You read Romans 7. The 10th the one really nailed him to the wall. He said, when I saw that the law said, thou shalt not covet, I looked into my heart and said, there's all kinds of evil desire in my heart. And so that one nailed him to the wall. And then he saw why he needed Christ. He's going to put that parachute on because there's a jump coming. And the parachute will save you. The Lord Jesus Christ will save you. You must come to him. There's no other credentials in your life that God even looks at. You got some kind of report card here on this life of your spiritual life and you hand it up to God, he's always going to hand it back. Unacceptable, unacceptable. You say, I I have Jesus I've trusted him. He's my only covering. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Lord, may these people believe that they can do this, that they can share their faith, they can share Christ with an unbelieving world. Lord, grant that this church not only is able to have people who will do it, but bless them with the resources to send these missionaries that they're supporting to the ends of the earth. Lord, Lord, uh, open up the windows of heaven upon your church here in Hingham, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.